All right. As we get ready for this word, we're in our, I think, part three or four. I want to say four. Four. We're in part four of our hell series. And we're going to talk about hell today. And I know, now here's the thing. Like Nancy, it's a little (laughs) scary. But here's what I want to do this morning as we talk about hell. You might sit comfortably and say, well, Pastor, I don't have to worry about this message because I know I'm saved. But there's a, you're going to learn something today. As we go to Luke chapter 14, verse 15. And if you are a first time guest, you picked a Sunday to come to church. This is going to be <laughs> Luke 14, verse 15. And the word of God says, hearing this, a man was sitting at the table with Jesus. And he exclaimed, what a blessing it will be to attend the banquet in the kingdom of God. Talking about heaven. And Jesus replied with this story. A man prepared a great feast and sent out many invitations. When the banquet was ready, he sent his servant to tell all the guests to come to the banquet because it's ready. But they all began to make excuses. One said, I just bought a field and I must inspect it. Please excuse me. Another said, I've just bought five pairs of oxen and I want to try them out. Please excuse me. And another said, I now have a wife, so I can't come. The servant returned and told his master what they had said. I want you to notice that the servant returned and told his master what they all said. And his master was furious and said, go quickly into the streets and the alleys and the towns and invite the poor, the crippled, the blind, the lame. And after the servant had done this, he reported, there is still room for more. There's still room for more. Say that with me. There's still room for more. So his master said, go out into the country, the lanes behind the hedges. Urge anyone, anyone you find to come so that the house will be full. For none of those I first invited will get even the smallest taste of my banquet. I want to preach to you this question. What does God want with me? As we talk about hell, I want to answer this question. What does God want from me? Can we pray? Father, bless this word in Jesus' name. Help us to preach it, to learn it, to apply it to our lives in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You guys can have a seat as we get into this word today. What does God want? want for me. To give you the context of what's happening, Jesus is sitting down at a dinner table and we don't know who he is or what he was thinking, but Jesus says as he was at the table eating dinner, a man just looks to Jesus and says, this is going to be like heaven, isn't it, Jesus? It's going to be like everyone is together and laughing and having a great time and we're all just with you at the table. And and this just reminds me of heaven. 
It's almost like saying today, this morning, as we were all eating breakfast together, someone says, Pastor, this is going to be what heaven's like. And I'm like, well, I hope not. It's going to be even better than this. But this man was talking about heaven with the Lord. And the truth is, heaven will not disappoint. If you think of the worldly view of heaven, that we are on top of a cloud and just singing tunes with our little heart for eternity, that is not heaven at all. Heaven is amazing. Heaven will not disappoint. Heaven is not like a movie trailer you see, you get all excited for, and when you finally go to the movie, the movie is terrible. The only thing about the movie that was great was the trailer you saw. Has that ever happened to you guys? That is not heaven. You will not be disappointed. Heaven is not some restaurant you get excited for and everyone talks about and you finally get to go and the food is kind of mediocre. You're like, I, I wasted our time on this restaurant. It's not what I thought. That is not what heaven is like. Heaven is not like a politician that makes all these great promises and never delivers. Heaven will not disappoint you. Heaven will be a place where Jesus himself, the Bible says, will wipe away your tears. You and I will be face to face with Jesus. The Bible says heaven is a place that would have no more sorrow, no more weeping, no more pain, glorified bodies. Amen. Can I get a witness? Glorified bodies. There's no need for keto. Because we will have the bodies of our dreams. Thank you, Jesus. Heaven will not disappoint. But in verse 17 and 18, Jesus says something that really grabbed me. He gave a story about a banquet, and he says, when the banquet was ready, he sent his servants to tell the guests, come to the banquet, it's ready. But they all began to make excuses. They all began to make excuses. One said, I've just bought a field. I got inspected. The other said, I got, I just got oxen. I got to try them out. And the other said, listen, I would love to. I just got married and you know the wife. I got to spend time with her. So I can't make it. And Jesus is literally saying, that everyone will have the opportunity, the invitation to know Jesus Christ. Everyone on earth will have the opportunity to make Jesus Christ the Lord of their life. Everyone will have the opportunity to make Jesus not only the Lord of their lives, but to have access to heaven through Jesus. Everyone's going to have that chance. Everyone's going to have that invitation to be a part of this great kingdom of God. But Jesus was saying, listen, heaven is amazing. Heaven's not going to disappoint. But many people won't be there because of excuses. Jesus described people that would be more concerned about the things of life then they're eternity. Heaven's going to be full of people that made Jesus Christ the Lord of their lives, but hell will be filled with people who made excuses. Why not, Jesus? 
concerned with the things of life. One said, I have a field. The other said, I got oxen. The other says, I just got married. Things that don't matter when you die. Today we have the opportunity, the invitation through Jesus to have our sins forgiven. Through Jesus, we can make Him the Lord of our lives. We have this opportunity to worship Him as our Lord. We have this opportunity and this invitation to live a life of purpose. Do you remember your life before Jesus versus after? You now have a purpose. You now have an identity. You have an invitation for a new life. In my opinion, the best invitation you have today is to have peace of mind that you have peace with God. The peace of mind that you have peace with God. Because not everyone has that peace of mind that when they die, they will be with God in heaven. And last Sunday we talked about the many that are going to be in hell versus those that are in heaven. And the many that Jesus spoke about were those that thought they were going to heaven, thought they were saved. But sadly, Jesus also talks about many people in hell that had the opportunity to make Jesus Christ their Lord and Savior, but missed out. Many people who had the opportunity, the invitation, but made excuses. And when I see the world today, I hear a lot of excuses. There is nothing greater in this life than serving Jesus Christ. There is no greater opportunity you have in this lifetime than to make Jesus Christ the Lord of your life. But sadly, too many people make excuses. Been a pastor a long time. I got to tell you, I've heard it all. Let me give you some of my favorites. I'm too busy. And I think to myself, well, you'll have all the time in the world in eternity. I'm too busy. I'm too tired. I got too much work. I have no time. Church is filled with hypocrites. I've been hurt by too many Christians. It's not for me. I don't think I need a change. Pastor, I can't change. I'm too bad. Weekends are my only days to rest and be with my family. Maybe later. I want to get things out of my system. I've heard that one before. Maybe when I'm older. So many excuses why so many people can't serve Jesus. And here's the big lie that many people have bought into. 
Look at verse 20 with me. Verse 20. This one person in particular grabbed my attention. Another said, I now have a wife. So I can't. Bear with me. I can't. That is the, the biggest lie the devil wants you to accept. You can't go to Jesus. You can't. You got too much in your life. You can't. You got too much responsibility. You can't. You're too tired. You can't. You're too busy. You can't. You're too sinful. You can't. The church is full of liars and hypocrites. Don't be one of them. You can't. You can't. I can't. I can't. It's a big lie we've accepted because when you say, I cannot serve Jesus, you are saying it is completely out of my control why I cannot make Jesus Christ the Lord and Savior of my life. And that is simply a lie from the enemy because anyone can come to Jesus. It doesn't matter who you are, where you're coming from, how bad you are. Let me just give you a note here. Bad people make the best Christians. They have the best testimony. My testimony, boring. I grew up in the church. I'm thankful I grew up in the church. But some of your testimonies should win an Oscar, should be in the movies, because bad people make the best Christians. Boy, do we have bad people in this church. And I love it. Who wants a boring saved person? No one. Where was I? Oh, yeah. I can't. I can't. But the truth about that lie is not that you can't serve Jesus, it's that you won't. I won't changes everything. I can't means I have no control. It's a lie. I won't means I have control. I just don't want to. Here's the truth about our world today. It's not that they can't serve Jesus. It's they won't. They won't. And we have control of how we will respond to the gospel. You have control of how you will respond to Jesus. The control is in your hand. And your faith, think about this church, our faith, our soul, our eternity lies in how we respond to Jesus. Hebrews 9.27 says this. It is just as each person is destined to die once. Now hold that verse for me because people seem to always be obsessed with their destiny. You ever notice that? And I've had people come to you, Pastor, I just want to know what my destiny is. What am I destined for? And I'm like, to die. To die. You will die. You know that 100% of people die? Awesome, crazy statistic. 
a hundred percent of people will die. Each person is destined to die once. That throws out reincarnation. Let's just throw that out. I know you love your dog, but that dog is not your grandmama. That dog is not your grandpa. That dog is just a dog. You can say it's your child, mom. I get it. You can say, listen, that throws out this notion of reincarnation. If you step on a roach, you're not killing anyone. You don't come back as a bird. You don't come back as a rattlesnake. It throws out. You die once. You die once. And after that comes judgment. This not only throws off reincarnation, people. This throws out this ungodly pagan idea of purgatory. The, the thought that in between heaven and hell is like a waiting room. And if you pay the right amount of money, some man who's also a sinner is going to pray to God and then your soul is going to go to heaven right after. The greatest money-making theme in the church in history. It throws out purgatory because God says you die once. And after that comes judgment. That's it. Well, pastor, what's going to happen in judgment? Romans 14, 12. It says this. Yes, each of us will give a personal account to God. A personal account. Say that with me. A personal account to God. Personal. Between you and God. Listen, you can't blame anyone when you're in judgment. The Bible is clear. You will have to give a personal account. That word account literally means you an answer. You will one day die. You will one day be in judgment. And you personally will have to answer to God. You will have to answer to God for your life on earth. You will have to answer to God of why you're still in sin. And I pray that the only answer you can ever give God is Jesus. And you will agree with God, Lord, in judgment. I'm a sinner. Lord, I was wrong. I was conceived in sin. I was born in sin. I lived a life of sin. But I repented of my sins. I turned my life to Jesus. And Jesus washed my sins with His blood. I put my faith and trust in Jesus. That is the only answer I can give you. But when you are a Christian, you won't have to give an answer to God. He's going to say, come in. But when you die in your sins, you will have to give an answer to God. And I pray you find the right excuse. But there won't be. Romans 1.20 says, for since the world was created, people have seen the earth and the sky through everything God made. They can clearly see His invisible qualities, His eternal power and divine nature, so they have no what? No excuse for not knowing God. Let's recap it. You die once. You face judgment. 
You have to answer to God. You will have no excuse. You go ahead and try to get away with, I was too busy. I was too tired. The church is full of hypocrites. It's not for me, Lord. But Lord, I had weekends off. You will have no excuse why you cannot serve Jesus Christ. In fact, Jesus pointed this way in Matthew 3.12. In Matthew 3.12, Jesus said, He's ready to separate the chaff from the wheat with his winnowing fork. He will clean up the threshing area, gathering the wheat into his barn, but burning the chaff with a never-ending fire. Jesus says, when the time comes, I'm going to gather everyone, just like this wheat. God's going to gather every person that's ever existed on earth. And when you gathered wheat, some of them had grain, others didn't. They all looked the same, but when you, the person wouldn't just pick and choose, okay, which one had the one? No, they just all got gathered. And the former will grab a tool called a winnowing fork. And it's kind of like a pitchfork, and he will get all the wheat and as he grabbed and gathered all the weeds, they would throw it in the air. And at that moment in the air, the wind would separate the grain from the chaff, the leftovers. So the grain would fall and remain. But then they would grab the leftover, the chaff that had no grain in it, and they would just burn it in the fire. And Jesus gave this illustration to describe what's going to happen in the end. He's going to gather every human soul and he's going to separate the believers from the non-believers, the saved versus the unsaved, the righteous in the eyes of Jesus versus the wicked. There's going to be a complete separation. And the ones that have the grain, the seed of Jesus Christ, will remain with God. But the rest of everyone that made excuses, that didn't serve Jesus, that didn't repent of their sins, Jesus says it's going to be like that farmer that just gathers them and throws them into an eternal fire. So let's go again in order. You die once. You face judgment. You have to answer to God, but you won't because there's be no excuses. And God will forever separate you from Him. And you will be thrown into an eternal, never-ending, the Bible says, fire. That fire that Jesus speaks about is hell. And I know it's a term that the church doesn't like to talk about. I know it's the word hell is only not only a term that the church doesn't talk about, but the word hell is something that we use just so loosely. Like, it's not a big deal. We use the word hell to describe someone that's good looking. We use the word hell to describe a great party. We, we use hell to describe something good. 
Man, that thing was good as hell. Does that make any sense? Because there is nothing good about hell. Don't ever take the name of hell in vain. Don't ever just use the word hell in a sentence like it's nothing. Hell is very serious. It is so serious and it is so awful that in the book of Mark chapter 9 verse 45, Jesus said this, if your foot causes you to sin, this is hyperbole, an extreme example. He says, if your foot causes you to sin, cut it off. It's better to enter. Notice, it's better to enter eternal life only with one foot. I'd rather you hop to heaven than to be thrown into hell with both feet. If your eye causes you to sin, gouge it out. It's better for you to enter the kingdom of God with only one eye than to have two eyes and be thrown into hell. God said it is so serious. That you will see maggots that never die. And fire that never goes out. Hell is treated so casually. There's nothing good or easy about hell. Hell is not a place where you will be with your friends. Hell is not a place that's a party. A famous song that hit the top charts was, I hope they serve beer in hell. Believe me, they don't. It's being preached that hell is just a metaphor. If hell is just a metaphor, would Jesus have used such a hyperbole as cutting your limbs and eyes than ending up in hell? Hell is a literal place of suffering. So let me break down the three things about hell on this beautiful Pastor Appreciation Sunday. I never get to preach about the church and memories, no, because hell is always on a sober. But let me give you the three. The three are the physical, the psychological, and the spiritual. The physical place of hell is a physical fire. The word hell in the New Testament is the word Gehenna. Jesus used the word Gehenna because Gehenna was just outside the city of Jerusalem and Gehenna was a garbage dump. Gehenna was a place where criminals that died by capital punishment were taken to just be burned. Gehenna was a place where people threw away all their trash, all their bodily fluids. Gehenna was a place that so many people and dead bodies were buried and burned and garbage, and it was always filled with fire. It was always filled with smoke, and the stench was unbearable. So Jesus would use the word Gehenna to literally describe the physicalities of hell, that hell is a physical place 
where the fire is literal, it burns and it never stops burning. It never stops. You will be in complete agony and torment in this fire in hell. Hell is a place that's not man-made. Hell is a place that's not metaphorical. Hell is not just some little idea to scare you. Jesus talked more about hell than he did heaven. And Jesus would talk more about hell to those that thought they were saved. To all the religious people, he talked about hell because there are many religious people that will go to hell because they never turn to Jesus for the forgiveness of their sins. But hell is a physical place of fire and brimstone. And you think that's the awful part of hell. I don't believe that. It's awful. But hell gets worse. I believe more than the physical torment of hell. It's a psychological torment. Hell is not just a place where you're just going to be burning for all eternity. But hell is a place where you're going to be thinking a lot while you burn. Let me show you some of the psychological torments of hell. Luke 16, 19 to 28, Jesus gave a parable to describe hell. And in this parable, it shows us key factors of what hell is like. Jesus said there was a certain rich man who was splendidly clothed in purple and fine linen and who lived each day in luxury. At his gate laid a poor man named Lazarus who was covered with sores. Lazarus laid there longing for scraps from the rich man's table. The dogs would come and lick his open sores. Finally, the poor man died. Because listen, you die once. The poor man died and was carried by the angels to be with Abraham. Abraham is a reference to heaven. The rich man also died. Now let's pause there. Because listen, whether you're rich or poor, powerful or weak, influential or not, everyone has this common destiny. You die. The poor man died. The rich man died. And he was buried. Look at verse 24 with me. The Bible says, And his soul went to the place of the dead. There, in torment. He saw Abraham in the far distance with Lazarus at his side. The rich man shouted, Father, Abraham, have some pity. Send Lazarus over here to dip the tip of his finger with water. You see, this rich man who had everything now had nothing. And he was begging for some little relief, as small as dipping your finger in water. And he could not even get that. Because you will never have relief in hell. Send Lazarus over here 
to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue. I am in anguish in these what? Flames. But Abraham said to him, Son, remember that during your lifetime, you had everything you wanted. Lazarus had nothing. So now he's here being comforted and you are in anguish. And besides, there's a great chasm separating us. No one can cross over to you from here and no one can cross over to us from there. And the rich man said, please, Father, at least send him to my father's home. For I have five brothers and I want them to be warned so that they don't end up in this place of torment." What if there are people in hell right now desperately warning you that you can't hear it? That hell is real. Look at the psychological torment Jesus describes. Verse 25 says this. Verse 25. Abraham said to him, Son, remember. Say that with me. Remember. Remember that your lifetime, you had everything. In hell, you will have memories. Jesus emphasized it clearly. You will remember your lifetime. If you remember your lifetime, you will remember during your lifetime Every excuse you made. You're going to remember the I'm too busy, tired, no time, got to work, hypocritical Christian, not for me, too bad, can't change, don't want to, not for me. You're going to remember every excuse you ever made not to serve Jesus. If hell is a place where you can remember your lifetime, you're not only going to remember every excuse you're going to remember every, I can't, I won't. You're going to remember everything you prioritize before God. You're going to remember the job you put first. You're going to remember the children you put first. You're going to remember the hobbies, the lifestyles, the sin you prioritize before God in your lifetime. Hell is so psychologically tormenting. You're not only going to remember the excuses, you're not only going to remember the priorities but God that you had, you're going to remember every invitation. Just like Jesus said in the banquet, they were all invited. You're going to remember every invite. You're going to remember every Christian that spoke to you about Jesus. You're going to remember, I guarantee, you're going to remember me. You're going to remember forward. You're going to remember this Sunday. You're going to remember I was there at church when this pastor preached about hell. I was right there in this pew listening to the gospel. I was right there busy thinking about lunch, thinking about work tomorrow, thinking about and texting, checking my Instagram. I remember that day. You're going to remember every invite your friend gave you. You're going to remember every opportunity you had to serve Jesus. And that's just not, that's the surface of the psychological torments 
of hell. Jesus says in verse 26, not only will you remember your lifetime, but in verse 26, Jesus says, besides, there's a great chasm separating us. A chasm is a deep, deep cliff, pit, separated by two cliffs. Imagine that with me. You want to see what hell is like? Hell is a place where you're going to be completely separated from heaven. Completely separated from God. And you're not going to be able to cross over back to earth. Whenever you hear things like, you know, I, I hear my grandmother still. I saw my father walking. I hear ghosts. Listen, those are demonic deception spirits. They deceive you into thinking it's your family members because demons want you to think there's no afterlife. Demons want you to think you roam around earth with unfinished business, they say. But listen, demons will take the form of relatives and people to trick you. Because you die once, you're in judgment. And after judgment, you're in hell. And Jesus says in hell, there is no crossing back over. It's a great chasm. Separating. But here's where the torture gets real. You're in hell. You have the physical fire, the memory of your lifetime, every excuse, priority, and invite. You reject it. You're going to be separated forever. And verse 23 is the cherry on top of hell. His soul went in the place of the dead, there in torment. He, I need you to repeat this with me so you make sure you get it. He saw Abraham. Say that with me. He saw Abraham. Now Abraham is a reference to heaven. And Jesus says, he saw heaven. So here's the thing between you and God in that chasm, in hell while you're being physically tormented and psychologically tormented, the greatest psychological torment that hell is going to bring you is the fact that while you're in the most excruciating torment of your life, I don't know how to explain this, but it's in the Bible, you will be able to see heaven. Imagine seeing the answer, the relief, everything in Jesus, but being too far to reach it. Imagine drowning, but right in front of you is a lifeboat you can't reach. That is torment. In hell, you're going to be able to see the kingdom of God, but be forever separated from it. The rich man saw heaven. He saw Lazarus, meaning, I believe that in hell, not only could you see heaven, but I believe our loved ones in hell will be able to see their loved ones in heaven. They're going to see that kingdom from a distance. They're going to know that it was real. They're going to know that Jesus was Lord. That's why the Bible says every knee will bow, every tongue will confess 
that Jesus is Lord. Some will confess well on earth and be saved, but other will confess that Jesus is Lord and hell, but it will be too late. They're going to look at heaven and say, He's Lord. He's always been Lord. He always was Lord. He was the Lord of my life and I rejected it. He was the Lord of my soul and I turned Him down. He's Lord and they're bowing. He's God. He's right there. And you can't reach Him. Psychological. That's why in Luke chapter 13, 28, Jesus says there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. For you will see what? Come on, let's connect this. You will see heaven. You will see Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, a reference to heaven. You will see Abraham and all the prophets in the kingdom of God. But you will be thrown out. You see, while you see heaven from hell, you're going to weep and gnash your teeth. The weeping is it's a symbol of sorrow, disappointment. The gnashing is a, is a symbol of anger. You're going to be angry at God. How dare you send me here? You're going to be angry with yourself. I can't believe I'm this crazy. I can't believe I had every chance, every opportunity. I was in church every Sunday. How could I have been so naive? I should have listened. And your teeth are grinding as you see heaven. The prophets are the men and women God used to speak His Word. You might see me. but I won't see you. That's frightening. In hell, there are weepers and gnashers. Sorrow, disappointment, and anger. Because you remember your lifetime. Remember your excuses. The chasm will be so far apart you will see from a distance and never be able to enter while you physically burn in hell. Because that is the wrath of God. The wrath that could be taken away because Jesus put His wrath that we deserve on Himself. Are you grateful for Jesus? The spiritual torment. The spiritual torment is what I can't even imagine. Right, right now you're saying, Pastor, the physical was enough and the psychological, but now there's a, there's a spiritual side to this? Absolutely. Matthew 8, 11 through 12. He says, and I tell you this, that many Gentiles will come from all over the world from east to west, and sit down with Abraham. See, sit down with who? Sit down in heaven. With Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. At the feast of what? 
became the feast, the banquet of heaven. But many of the Israelites, making a reference to religious people who thought they were saved, many of the Israelites, those from whom the kingdom was prepared, will be thrown into the outer darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. You know, Jesus says, you weep and you gnash your teeth because while you're going through this physical and psychological torment, you're able to see heaven from a distance and never reach. But Jesus says all of this is still done in complete and outer darkness. Jesus says the word outer darkness because darkness has stages, it has levels. You, you have a lamp. And the more further away you go from that lamp, the darker it becomes, right? But when Jesus says the outer darkness, it means it is the furthest you can go from light where there is no light. It is complete and pitch black. Pitch black. Darkness. As you go through this physical and psychological point. Weeping and gnashing your teeth. You guys say, well, Pastor, why would God make hell so dark? Because Revelation 21, 23 says this. Talking about heaven, the city has no need for sun or moon, for the glory of God illuminates the city, and the Lamb is the what? Is the line. You see, God is smart, and the reason that he made hell complete and outer darkness out of it the reason God says I'm going to make an outer darkness to hell is because in heaven, the presence of God is the light. There's no sun, there's no moon in heaven. You're not standing in heaven. There's no sun. Because Jesus, the presence of his light is enough to light up the entire kingdom of God. Isn't that amazing? But see, God made hell complete darkness so that the people will be reminded that the presence of God is God. Can you imagine a place where there is no God? See, I, I, I cringe at this because many people are in hell because while on earth they said there is no God. And that statement will be true one day while they're in hell. There is no God. They will be in hell and see no God. Never again. On earth they had every opportunity to be in the presence of God, the presence of the Lord Jesus. But hell is a place where God is completely void and absent. Imagine a world without God. Imagine a world without Christians. Imagine a world without the Holy Spirit. Imagine the chaos, the pain, the agony, the spiritual torture of the absence of God. That is the spiritual darkness of heaven, where all your sins will be on you, tortured by your sin, Tortured by demonic spirits. Tortured by the memory of your lifetime. Tortured by your excuses. Tortured as you see heaven from a distance. Tortured as you see the fires of hell consume your body and never quench. Hell is a place absent of God's presence. You will beg for God, but He won't hear you. You will look for God, but only see heaven from a distance. You will try to bargain 
as a rich man did. Can you at least give me water? Can you at least send my brothers and warn them? You will try to reason with God. I'll do better. I'll go to church. This time I'll be serious. I won't sin that way anymore. I'll denounce that lifestyle. I'll repent, Lord. Lord, just a little bit. Just a little chance. One more chance. One, please. And God will not hear you. Because God is not there. If the presence of God is absent in hell and the presence of God is the Bible, God is a symbol of love. His presence is love. No love in hell. God's presence is peace. There will be no peace in hell. God's presence is rest. You will be restless in hell. The Bible says where the presence of the Lord is, the Spirit of the Lord, there's freedom. In hell, because there's no God, there's no freedom, only bondage. God will comfort you now in His presence. But in hell, there is no comfort. Everything that the presence of God represents in Scripture will be completely opposite in hell. That is the physical, psychological, and spiritual torment of hell. And one day, you and I will be gathered And I pray as God is separating everyone that I see forward. That I see people who could have made excuses but made Jesus Christ the Lord of their lives. The most important detail about hell I don't want you to forget. You guys ready? You guys good? Hell is a place you don't have to go to. Through Jesus. Come on, praise Him. Hell is a place you don't have to go to. I want to close with that statement. Hell is a place you don't have to go to. Matthew 25, 41, Jesus says that hell, the kingdom, the king will turn to his left and say, away with you, you cursed ones, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his demons. I don't want to go to a place that God created for Satan. And I don't have to, I have peace of mind. I'm here. But hell is a place prepared for Satan and demons, never us. But when sin entered the world, the curse of sin qualifies. You qualify, you and I qualify because of our sin to join Satan. Condemned, he stood condemned guilty of our sin. No one in this church can say, no, not me, pastor. I am guilt-free. I have not sinned. No one can say that the Bible says all of us have sinned. All of us have forsaken God. All of us carry the curse of sin in our lives. But in 2 Peter 3.9, to answer the question, what does God want from me? 
Notice what he says to you. The Lord is slow in keeping his promise. As some understand slowly. He is patient with you. Come on. God is patient with you. While you're out there in the world in sin, He's patient. Inviting you. And while you're making excuses, He's patient. Inviting you. When you're at your worst and say, I don't think I can go to Jesus, I'm too bad, He's patient. Are you not grateful for the patience of God that could have thrown all of us in hell with a snap of his fingers? What does God want? He's patient with you. Not wanting anyone to perish. But everyone to come to repentance. What does God want from me? Repentance! God didn't say, you know what I want from you? Just be nicer. Go to church more. But there are nice people in hell. There are church goers in hell. Oh, just read your Bible. You know what God said I want from you? Repent. Repent is a change of mind that causes you to turn from your sin. You change your mind about sin. You change your mind about the world. And you say, Lord, I'm a sinner. I am a sinner. I am a sinner that deserves hell. But Lord, I repent of my sin and I turn to you. I'm not perfect, but in Jesus Christ, I'm made perfect in your eyes. Repent of your sin. Because God says, I don't want you to perish. You see, I think the most idiotic question I ever hear is why does God send people to hell? God does not send people to hell. People choose to go there. Stop saying God sends people to hell. God does not send people to hell. People choose to go to hell because they chose not to repent. Period. It's a choice that you make. Choose life because life and death is right between you. Choose life. Choose Jesus. Because the choice and the free will we have is yours. And when you repent of your sins, Romans 8, 1-2 says this clearly. So now, there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. Praise God. There is no condemnation. You are no longer guilty. Your sins have been washed. Your sins in Jesus have been paid for. So when you die once, and you're in the presence of judgment, and God sees you, He sees Jesus in you, therefore He sees perfection. And you sit at the banquet with Pastor David. 
with your church, with all the teachers that taught you, all the friends that invited you. You sit at the banquet, not like, I deserve this. We're going to sit in a banquet and say, we don't deserve this. This is so amazing. This is the most wonderful place ever. We don't deserve this. We are rotten to the core, but Jesus is so graceful. He offers forgiveness, and you make excuses. And when I see people turn from God and leave the church and follow the world, I think about their reasoning, their excuses, and I think about how they're going to look one day from hell. They're going to see heaven. They're going to see the banquet and gnash their teeth and say, I was right there in front of me, and I did not choose to repent. What does God want from you? Confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord. Repent of your sins. Because God says in Romans 6, 23, the wages of sin is death. Sin brings spiritual death. It brings hell. But in Romans 6, 23, God says, the gift, the gift of God through Jesus is eternal life. My question to you, as we just answered the question, what does God want from you? My question is, what do you want from God? Do you want God to leave you alone? He will. When you're in outer darkness, But till then, God's going to keep reaching out to you. What does God want from you if you're already saved? To go out there and be an example. To be a testimony. To reach the lost people in your life that you know are going to this awful place created for Satan. To invite. To annoy people so much by inviting them that they finally come to shut you up. God wants you to be bold for the gospel. God wants you to stop acting like the world and live like you're on heaven right now. What will your response be? With every head bowed and every eye closed today, private moment with you and God in your past If you're safe today, good for you. I'm talking to those that don't know. What's your reason? What's your excuse? All of us are sinful. All of us deserve help. All of us are busy. All of us are tired. All of us are hypocrites. All of us are liars. All of us don't deserve heaven. What's your excuse? What will you say when the day finally comes? 
What will you say? How will you respond to Jesus? God says, choose life. Repent of your sins. Once and for all, turn your life to Jesus. Let me pray for you, Father, in Jesus' name. We deserve this awful place of torment. We deserve this place of agony, both physical, psychological, and spiritual. But we thank you that through Jesus, through your Son who died on the cross, the weight of sin has been lifted. And for anyone that responds in repentance to you, will be saved. We don't deserve it, but you offer it as a free gift. And Father, I pray in Jesus' name, once and for all, you open up the hardened hearts and eliminate all the excuses of those maybe in this church or listening or watching online that say they can't when the truth is they won't. And I pray that you turn their I won't to I will. In Jesus' name, Holy Spirit, open your hearts. If you're here today and you want to repent of your sins, and turn your life to Jesus. Would you put that hand up? Pray. There's no shame. You say, Pastor, I've been in church all these years. I thought I was saved. So sorry. I don't care. If you're here today and you say, Pastor, I want to make Jesus Christ the Lord of my life. You put that hand up. And if not, I'm assuming you're either saying, Pastor, thank you. But I know I'm saved. Or you're still making excuses. Your excuses will run out. Your time will stop. And you will face an answer to Maybe you're here to come saying, Pastor, you're just embarrassed. God says, if you acknowledge me before man, I will acknowledge you in all of you can see me after service if you want to, we want to talk. But I want you guys to be sure without a doubt that you're saved. So I'm Father, bless this word in Jesus' name. And I pray that you get this word motivate us to go out into the world, reach the loved ones we have that are lost, reach those that are going to this awful place of time. And we thank you for the family that you prepared for us. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Come on, you bring the Lord Jesus today. Amen. 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 Amen.